Bonjour, hello, and happy Friday, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for Finn's Fanfare Friday, Volume 10. I'm going to cheers to that. I don't think anybody else has a beverage, but this is... I'm going to channel my inner I do, Martha. I do. Oh, fantastic. I can't see Nick because I only have speaker view on Chrome. I've got Zephyr Hills. I'm going to channel my inner Martha right, Stewart so here for a second. This is a lychee martini. It's comprised of one ounces of vermouth, three ounces of vodka, and one ounce of lychee juice. It is delicious. So cheers to all of you on this wonderful Friday. I don't know what Nick has. It looks like a beer of some kind. It is a beer. I have 12 fluid <laughs> ounces of Dos Equis beer. Fantastic. And we've officially now gotten to one full minute before we've talked anything football related. So without any further ado, uh, we're going to talk a little bit of Dalvin Cook news. And then we're going to talk about our Pick Up the Blitz 53-man roster and depth chart projection. I don't think Justin shortened the title for me this week. Nope. Um, but <laughs> rolling with that. <laughs> this week we're going to be talking about the offensive line. Going into week four now. We currently have 17 of the 53 roster spots taken. I'm going to run through those real quick once we get to that piece of the podcast. Uh, before we get there, though... Going into week five, sorry. Oh, Nudsy. Yeah, Nudsy of, is our, just... of our 53-man roster in depth, depth chart. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, we're going to get into Dalvin Cook, though, first. Um, let's talk a little bit about Dalvin Cook to the Dolphins, potentially. There was a Sports Illustrated article talking about the Dolphins potentially trading for Dalvin Cook, although to me and I think to the author there seemed very unlikely. Quick plug here also on our Twitter. We actually have a, a vote, like a, a poll up to talk about how much Dalvin Cook is worth. He wants top two running back money. Uh, some were saying just under Christian McCaffrey, $60 million. Some were saying 13. But boys, I want to give it to you here. What do we think is going to happen with Dalvin Cook? He's saying he's not really, or sources rather, are saying he's not going to play until he's given what's known as fair compensation. Do we think he's worth Christian McCaffrey's $16 million? Is it more somewhere in the 13 range? And do we think the Dolphins are a reasonable destination for him? So I, I think, he, listen, he's one of the top running backs in the league, right? We could probably put him in that top five category without really questioning it. Um, but that's just a lot of money. And I just don't see, for, I don't see the Dolphins shelling out $16 million a year for a running back. No, Cook is they're great. Not, they're not trading. I mean, they're not trading for him. Like, I, I think just out of the gate, I think we could say that that's not happening. I, I was, yeah, I was going to say like, that. Why would they, me why like, why would they trade do. for uh, Justin the Steamroller? I don't know. I, yeah, I don't really <laughs> see that happening either. Yeah, no, I don't see any scenario where he gets where he gets traded because it just doesn't make any logical sense. Because what would you have to get up to give up to get him, right? You have to give up a second round pick. A first-round picker, they're going to be asking for multiple picks. That just doesn't fit into the rebuilding plan. So if you can get him as a free agent, that's one thing. They're not going to trade for I'd be shocked if they trade for him. Can I? Yeah, can I, I mean, let me is, interject for what I'm going to steamroll yeah, Justin for, for a second. We've seen these top-tier <laughs> yes. guys in the last few years, whether it's Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley, any of these guys who suddenly make all this money at the running back position. The next year or two or three, they're either as good or worse or in some cases, significantly worse. We haven't seen a lot of guys who produce really well get paid what they want to be worth, whether it's by holding out or making it very clear on social media what they want or both. And then we haven't seen them perform at a really high level. So is Dalvin Cook, and I know I'm asking now four separate questions, is he going to buck that trend? Do we think that if he gets paid what he thinks he's worth, do we think he's going to have CMC-like production? Because to me, the only running back, and I call Christian McCaffrey a running back with a slight caveat, 
I think he's going to do really well this year, given, given the inflated salary. I think he's going to do really well because he's so multifaceted. Do we think Dalvin Cook has that kind of potential? I mean, Zeke, Zeke is also one of the only running backs we've seen recently who's been paid and then still performed. Um, the only reason you pay a guy like that, a running back like this, is if they're the engine of your offense and therefore almost the engine of your team. Um, and Cook is that guy for the Vikings, but uh, there was a really good point. I can't remember where I uh, where we were watching. It might have been ESPN where they were talking about a uh, Dalvin Cook potential extension where they said Alexander Madison has averaged, who's Dalvin Cook's backup, just as many, if not more, yards per carry over the course of his career than Dalvin Cook. Now, he's had far fewer carries, and that's a very important caveat, but it brings up the discussion of, like, is it even worth shelling out these massive extensions to these running backs? And there are a lot of reasons to to, to see, you know, why not? The running backs that are coming through the draft are cheaper, younger, with less uh, tread on the tires. Um, and so I, I struggle with the idea of paying Dalvin Cook, someone who's already had a couple of significant injuries in his career, Christian McCaffrey-esque money, and I could totally see why the Vikings would, would balk at doing that. The report came out that they offered him less than 10, and that he found that offensive, but I, I, I'm not, I can't fault them for doing that. I, I can't either, and, and, and Trevor, your, your question about do you think that he's going to get the value that he sees himself at, no, uh, because, because he's, you got to think the NFL doesn't value the running back like we used to. Christian McCaffrey is is kind of the um, the exception, not the rule, and what he can bring to a team from the receiving standpoint and from the running uh, standpoint. Right? He he's a little bit different, but paying running backs is just not really a thing anymore. The fact that Zeke got that fifteen million dollar a year deal for ninety million uh, is is incredible for him, but. Look at what look at what the Cowboys are struggling with, right? They're, they're now they can't pay their quarterback, and I don't think there's anybody in the NFL world, whether they're a fan talking on a podcast like us or if it's a, a GM, that thinks a running back is going to be more valuable in the league that we currently reside in than a quarterback. So there's, in my opinion, there's no point to hamstring yourself by paying a running back $16 million a year when you can, like Justin said, go and get a rookie who's probably going to be comparable in terms of skill level at least in a year or two and pay him a quarter of what you would have to pay a Dalvin cook who has had injury history. So I'm one of the firm believers that you win championships by building in the trenches and by paying a running back a kajillion dollars is it ruins that. Do we think the digs exit has any bearing on what Dalvin cook gets paid if he stays in Minnesota this year? I mean, it helps alleviate the cap a little exactly. bit. Exactly. That's why I'm asking. Or however much these are being paid. I don't think it's a game changer. Yeah, I don't think it makes a whole lot of difference in that decision-making. I don't think trading digs now equals Dalvin gets paid a lot more, um, except for the fact that it does clear up some cap space. I mean, tying it back around to the Dolphins here, it being Vincentra Friday, just as, as, Nick, as Nick said, it doesn't make sense with the rebuilding plan. A, because you probably have to give up a pretty high draft pick, a pretty premium pick. Um, and that the Dolphins are, you know, they spent a lot of money, but they're not necessarily being egregious with their spending. And so I don't think they trade a second round pick and then go ahead and pay Dalvin whatever they need to pay to satisfy him. I think we're going to see with the rising cap, you know, save for the caveat of the, the fact that the cap might change if they can't get fans in seats. But other than that, the cap has been rising pretty steadily. I think we'll see the running back market settle where the top tier guys get you know, in the 12 to 13 range outside of this, you know, Trevor's favorite word, albatross, Christian McCaffrey type contract, um, and that the rest will sort of settle a few million underneath. Otherwise, you're, you're taking away from, a, from another premium position, and I, I certainly don't see the Dolphins doing that anytime soon. 
And it doesn't make sense based on what the Dolphins have also already done this offseason, right? Bringing in Jordan Howard, getting him, getting Matt Breida. It makes no sense to now shell out one to two draft picks, potentially high-round picks, for Dalvin Cook. It just doesn't make sense. And, you know, Jordan, I saw a tweet, um, I think it was last night, I don't remember where it was, but Jordan Howard has the third most yards since 2016 when, uh, 16 when he entered the league. That's a big deal. So I, I think I think people are underplaying the impact that Jordan Howard's going to have on this team, and people who are suggesting Dalvin Cook to the Dolphins are doing that as well. I think the, I think the Dolphins are going to be just fine with the running back group that they currently have. They don't need to go get Cook. Yeah, and yeah, I, I'm sure it's... Go ahead. Yeah, go for no, it. No, go for it. Go for it. I'm sure it's easier for us to say also not being Vikings fans. I'm sure there are a lot of Vikings fans who want Dalvin Cook to stay, you know, given that he showed the team so much success. I want him and to if, stay too. And so, and if we saw that, if we saw that with, you know, if Kenyon Drake performed for the Dolphins like he did for the Cardinals last year and he was just running the team to wins, I'm sure we would sitting be sitting here saying, I hope the Dolphins find a way to keep Kenyon Drake. But um, even in that scenario, it's not the year for that. Like, we don't need to pay a guy, in my opinion. No, you're right. You're absolutely $60 million. Right. Especially, I'm glad, Justy, you brought this back to Finn's fanfare, because for a second there, I started to get into my pick up the blitz mode where we're talking all around the league. Uh, but this is Finn's fanfare Friday. So when I'm looking at our running back depth chart here, which we've put together, I really like the assemblage of guys we have, especially given that we're not a win-now kind of team, like Super Bowl bound. And I believe in the Dolphins more than anybody, but... This is not a team that we're looking to pay top-tier money to really for anybody yet because we're not looking to make that marquee talent to take that marquee step. So I want to actually— And and one more more key point just on the running back discussion. I think this is a huge deal here when we're talking about what what Coke might be paid or any top-tier running back. The free agents next year are stacked at the position. You have Kenyon Drake. You have Todd Gurley. You have Philip Lindsay. You have Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams from Green Bay. You have Marlon Mack from Indianapolis. You have Leonard Fournette coming out of out of Jacksonville. Damian Williams is going to be a free agent. There's so a lot of former of Dolphins on that list. Year. There's a couple at least <laughs> that I recognize. James Conner, Chris Carson. There are like there are so many top tier running backs coming out next year, and I think that'll make it even harder for Cook to get his money, uh, whether it's with Minnesota or elsewhere. Yeah, and Justin and I talk about this a lot. We see this even on first take. Max Kellerman will always say something like, you have to rob Peter to pay Paul. In the NFL, which is such a hard cap league, if you're paying money somewhere, you have to take it away from someone else. And on a team that's trying to build like the Dolphins are, I think it's really wise to take a step back, look at our current core of running backs, which looks pretty good. And also, Justin makes a very good point. In the next offseason, in the next free agency period, there's a lot of top-tier talent if we feel like we're ready to make that push. Let's go into our fifth. And there's going to be good... Guys coming out in the draft as well. There's no point. Yeah, exactly. No, no, it's all good. And you know what? I'm so glad Nick said that because that's also another good point. You have guys coming in left and right every year, and the running back position especially is very recyclable. Unfortunately, I hate to say that because these guys put their bodies on the line, but this is a position where younger and less tread on the tires, less wear and tear is almost always better. So with that out of the way, let's get into sort of the meat of our discussion this week with our Pick Up the Blitz 53-man roster and depth chart breakdown. Just a quick reminder we currently have 17 out of 53 spots taken. I'm just going to run through them real quick before we get into the offensive line. At quarterback, we have Ryan Fitzpatrick, Tua Tagovailoa, and Josh Rosen. At running back, we have Jordan Howard, Matt Breda, Kalen Balage, Malcolm Perry, and Chandler Cox at the fullback position. Wide receiver, we have Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant, Alan Hearns, and Isaiah Ford. And at tight end, we have Mike Gusecki, Durham Smythe, and Bryce Stirk. So we've been really excited 
for this offensive line portion of our 53-man roster and depth chart breakdown because there's a lot of potential combinations. There's a lot of guys also who are on the offensive line, and I think what's most exciting about this is these are not skill position players. So these are some guys that most people haven't heard of or at the very least aren't super familiar with, and so it gives us a chance to really sort of color in the lines of what we think the Dolphins' front line is going to look like next season. And that's exciting for us because we really get to impart some of what we think is going to happen next year um, that isn't necessarily reported on generally. So without any further ado, boys, I want to hand it off to you. Let's talk about the guys currently on the roster. Uh, Let's sort of break them down in terms of offensive tackle, offensive guard, and the center position. And then let's talk about who we think is going to remain there as the season commences. So I I think that, you know... We don't we don't spend a lot of time focusing on uh, on the offensive line and it's the exciting prospect that an offensive line generally has for a team. But I, for one, am super excited about this offensive line because I don't know if they're going to be stellar next year. I think they're going to be significantly improved from the 32nd rank unit we wheeled out there last year. Uh, I don't there's literally nowhere else to go then up. So they're going to be better. Um, But I really think that down the road, maybe towards the end of the season, we're going to be looking at a very top quality offensive line. And obviously they don't get the same uh, media attention as receivers or quarterbacks or running backs. But I think this offensive line is going to be very good. So before we begin breaking it down, I just want to start with that little piece. I'm super hyped about the offensive line that we could potentially throw out there uh, this season. Yeah, one of the most exciting pieces at least going into the season, is that we don't, at this point, we don't even really know who's going to play where. Um, the Dolphins, you know, we know Brian Flores likes versatile players, players who could play at multiple positions, and that's key on the offensive line because when one guy goes down, sometimes you got to push someone somewhere else just to make sure that you have the best five on the field. Um, and you see that for sure with Robert Hunt, the fact that he could play guard and tackle. I think the Dolphins, personally, I think they drafted him to be the future at right tackle given how high they picked him and the fact that it, they had already picked to a so they, they, you know, they knew they needed a premium right tackle. Um, and you see that again with guys like Michael Dieter, third round pick last year, who can play guard in the center. Um, so I think, I think we're going to see a couple of combinations. Jesse Davis in, as well. Of course, Jesse Davis. Um, very, you know, sort of reliable plug and play uh, when you need him while you're grooming someone else type vet who can play guard and tackle. And I think during training camp, we're going to see Flores and the offensive coaching staff sort of play around with a couple of different combinations, see where guys are ready, see where they are, you know, best at at the moment. Um, the starting lineup, I think, you know, if we're, if we're going through our starting five first, sort of get this projection going, I think Austin Jackson, you know, drafted right in the middle of the first round. They're going to want him to play week one and be a starter. My, my immediate prediction is that, you know, they're going to try to move him out there as quickly as they can just to get him, get the reps going, give him experience. But I really would not be surprised um, if Julian Davenport is playing week one or if the Dolphins bring in another veteran at some point, like a Jason Peters, um, you know, through free agency to, to sort of fill that left tackle spot while Austin Jackson's being groomed to left. See, guard, I, don't, I think it's, yeah, uh, go, see, go. I'm just going to interject. I don't, I yeah. don't see Davenport starting. I think it's Austin Jackson. Who's going to be the starting left tackle for this unit just because Davenport Davenport was terrible last year. Listen, the majority of these offensive linemen were terrible for last sure. year. Right. Sure. And so when we think about the team that we brought out there with Michael Dieter, uh, Shaq Calhoun, Julian Daver, Davenport, Jesse Davis, some guys who are still in the roster, they were terrible. So I don't see any reason why Austin Jackson wouldn't be 
the starting left tackle for this unit, barring some significant chaos that were to potentially develop. I don't see any reason. So I'm going to well, push back on that. I, 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 while I just, we're talking and, significant chaos, though, I mean, given the state of given the state of things in the world right now, and the fact that guys can't get on the field right now, it looks like training camp is going to be as normal as possible. But if for some reason it's not over the course of the next couple of weeks, I think you know, given the fact that guys couldn't be, there was no rookie minicamp, which is huge for rookies. Um, I think it's possible that Jackson doesn't have enough time to get the training camp reps in to start week one. But you're right, my prediction right now is that he does. Okay, I have one sort of, I have one further looking question that I'm sorry to cut you guys off. I just and this this might be a silly question, but it's something that I really don't have the answer to. So we, you know, in the NFL, it's the vast majority of quarterbacks, if not all starting quarterbacks last year, were right-handed quarterbacks, right? We talk a lot about the importance of the blindside blocker, traditionally speaking, on that left side, right? This year, with Ryan Fitzpatrick, it's going to be much the same. It's going to be, obviously, more important to guard that side or, or most important on the offensive line. But as Tua comes in, we're going to see a transition there, of course, because the blind side's going to transition over to the right side, right, as a left-handed quarterback. So, I, I don't know if anybody on the roster we think currently constructed plays that role well enough. I mean, we're talking about a guy who we hope is going to be our franchise guy, right? So do we think as presently constructed with the guys sort of where they are positionally, we're comfortable with that moving sort of forward, especially because we've talked a lot about Tua potentially coming in after the Jets game. I think it's in week 12. What do we feel about that moving forward? Because I really don't know. What What are our thoughts there? I, I'm, I think that we do have the the players to protect to his blind side. And I, I think, Justin, you said it perfectly. I think Robert Hunt is going to be that right tackle down the road who's going to develop into that blind side protector that two is going to need. Um, so I, I wouldn't worry too much about it, I, especially if, if we assume that Tua is going to start by week 12, right? That that hypothetical date we've been throwing out there for a couple of weeks now. You know, I, I could see Robert Hunt kind of getting into a uh, a rhythm a little bit with the way he's progressing, and I can see that being an okay transition. I wouldn't really worry too much about that. And at the end of the day, if you look at the other tackle options that exist on the roster, and this connects back to the point I was making earlier about Austin Jackson starting at left tackle, regardless of the fact that we have uh, uh, we may have a limited training camp because of uh, COVID-19 or whatever might happen in the next couple months. I'm still rolling my dice with the rookies because there's no, they can't be that bad. They cannot be that bad. I just don't, I cannot believe that they're going to be as bad as the unit that we wheeled out there. And that includes Julian Davenport. That includes uh, Jesse Davis, who started a tackle a little bit last year. Um, a couple of other guys whose names are insignificant at this point. I think, I think Robert Hunt is going to be just fine playing right tackle and protecting to his blind side whenever it is that Tua ends up coming in and, and playing. So to, to continue building out the projection then, if we're moving across from, from left to right, regardless of who starts, it's Austin Jackson and Julian Davenport at left tackle, right? And then we move over to left yeah. guard, and we're getting into, of course, big-name free agent. We brought in Eric Flowers, uh, who played pretty darn well at the guard position last year despite his early career struggles at tackle. So you have Eric Flowers at left guard, and then I'd say we throw out there Solomon Kinley, right, as the primary backup fourth-round pick. Probably won't be starting anywhere right out of the gate. I Yeah, I, I agree. I feel comfortable with that. I, th I think you go Flowers as your starter, Kinley as your as your backup and then so then center at least at the backup spot is where it gets interesting we're assuming free agent ted karras is going to be the starter that's why you bring him in flores knows him from new england he'll start and then backup center michael Dieter was a backup 
uh, a backup and sometimes as a starter also at guard last year. Um, but he has both. He has uh, experience at both positions. Do you think that he's the primary backup center, or do you think they have a you know a more natural uh, backup center who has more experience at the position, though there aren't many currently on the roster? Um, so, so I think I think you answered there? your question. I think you answered your question because I don't think there's anybody who is. If you look at the roster that that they currently have, I don't see anybody there who is a logical. Um, I don't see anybody who is a logical center for that spot um, because it just uh, there's nobody there's there's really nobody so I think it makes sense to have Dieter as your as your backup there and again because Flores prioritizes guys who can play in multiple spots he could also play a little guard for you as well so he's just kind of that fluid interior offensive lineman that can kind of fill in a spot regardless of which side of the ball he's playing on or if he's snapping it or just blocking so I think Dieter makes sense as the backup to Karras I think Karras is going to ultimately start. Um, and then Dieter can kind of can kind of back him up unless Dieter does something crazy to beat him out in training camp, which I don't really anticipate being the case. No, but I I could potentially see him starting at at right guard. I think it's unlikely. How do you see the right side of the line playing at? You said you think Robert Hunt starting right tackle, right guard. You have Jesse Davis, who a couple years ago actually played quite well at the right guard position. You have Michael Dieter, who was a third-round pick last year, um, and so who will hopefully still be fighting for a starting spot. And then there's Isid- uh, Danny Isadora, Shaq Calhoun, some undrafted free agents who, um, you know, were forced to play a little bit last year. How do you see the right side of the line playing out? So I, I definitely think Hunt will win that starting job at tackle. Um and then I see Davis winning that guard spot. You know, Jesse Davis is so fascinating to me because uh, he's been in the league what three years now. This is his fourth year he's going into, right? Yeah, it's either it's either year I'm, four. I think year four. I, th- I believe it's year four, right? So when he came in as a rookie, I was super hyped about him. And then unfortunately, it's kind of just been a downward, uh, you know, a downward growth really. Um, and he's just kind of underwhelmed every single year up and up until you know present but I wonder if that's more of a statement to the offensive line that he's playing around than his than his actual potential so I think that this is actually a make or break year for Jesse Davis because I think this is the time where he's got what could be a a, a good offensive line around him so he's really going to have to perform and I think that's going to push him to do so and like you said a couple years ago and when he plays a guard he actually is a pretty good guard he's just not a great tackle um, but he does provide that flexibility in case there's an issue um, with an injury or something so so if if it were me today, I would probably go with Davis as the right guard and then uh, Robert Hunt as our right tackle. Uh, obviously, Davis could move to tackle if Hunt were to go down, and then you could bring in like a, a Calhoun or something who's still on the roster to kind of back him up. Uh, but I think it would be Davis and Hunt. It just makes that makes sense to me. Oh, make or break was the perfect descriptor there because. Uh, I think it was last year, the Dolphins signed Jesse Davis to that extension. Three years, $15 million. And I pulled up the contract details now. This year, if they were to cut him, which they definitely won't because they need him on the roster, it would be a seven, almost $7 million dead cap hit. After this year, it's a, the, the team has a potential out, a $2 million dead cap hit. So if he doesn't perform this year, if he's a total train wreck when they probably will need him to start, um, or if he gets beat out by um, a much younger player, I could see them cutting ties next year. So make or break's probably a good descriptor. So then based off what we have here, we have uh, what we discussed so far in terms of the, the depth chart breakdown. We have Austin Jackson, maybe Julian Davenport, probably Austin Jackson starting at left tackle. Flowers, Karras, Davis, and Hunt going across the starting five. Then it's either Davenport or Jackson, whichever one doesn't start, as the left tackle backup. Solomon Kinley as the left guard backup. Probably Dieter, 
uh, unless he beats out Jesse Davis for right guard as the center backup, and Davis and then Hunt at the two right spots, that's eight offensive linemen. Did they keep a ninth or a tenth? And who would those be backups? Probably on the right side. Uh, probably on the right side. Um... You have the undrafted guys. You have Calhoun. You have Isadora. Um, I, I w- there's Jonathan I, Hubbard. I would say I would say that it would be either Calhoun or Isadora, just because they're a little bit more proven. Even though Calhoun was terrible, um, I think he just makes more sense to keep around because he also knows the system. He played a lot uh, for yeah, us like last almost year, fifty like percent of the snaps or something. Yeah, so so I would I would say Cal Calhoun or Isadora. This is so we talked a lot of in the other uh, positional breakdowns where undrafted rookies kind of have a shot at making the roster. Um, I don't see that being the case with the offensive line because the Dolphins, they just invested too much real draft capital in offensive linemen that I don't think any of those undrafted rookies really stand a chance unless they blow somebody out of the water. And then you're probably going to see like a Shaq Calhoun not make the team or a Danny Isadora not make the team. But I think uh, if we're making predictions now in the beginning of June, um, I think, I think that it makes sense to have Calhoun, or Isadora as that spot, I would probably lean towards Calhoun because of, like you said, his familiarity with the system. Okay, so Trevor, you could add it to the count. That's I think we're going on nine offensive linemen with uh, with Jackson, Flowers, Karras, Davis, and Hunt as the starters, Davenport, Kinley, uh, Dieter, and Calhoun as the backups. So I think that brings us up to what, 26 roster spots taken now. Making uh, our way, making our way up. And, and, I, and I think the, the way, you know, going with nine offensive linemen, I think is going to end up being fine because of the flexibility that the majority of these guys have. Really, there's only there's only maybe one guy, maybe two on this entire list that we just gave out that is kind of stuck where they are. Um, the rest of them are very flexible with the play that they they could potentially be giving you. So I think I think that. I think if Flores saw these nine names, he would be very comfortable going forward. You're saying like as opposed to ten because of the position flexibility. Right, right. I think so, flexibility. Right, is right, right. Let be me ask here. a question. Okay. And of that course, makes sense. in that the NFL, sense. in the NFL, this is oh somebody's peeking their head into Justin's bedroom. Oh, I don't I know who my, it is. I had my door open. Barring injury, knock on wood, as we know in the NFL, injuries happen. Who was was it? Mob? Was it somebody? I have no idea. Okay. I have no. Do idea. we think, and I don't want to go ten years because that's very far, but say we take it three, four, five years. Do we feel like the majority of this line, as presently constructed here, do we feel like that remains largely the same? Are we comfortable? I think Nick sort of answered this earlier. I just want to clarify. Do we feel really comfy with this offensive line, especially given I think Nick is articulating really well the ability for them to sort of be malleable to move around a bit, or do we think we're going to see significant changes in two or three years from now? I think I think it's I think two two players are I would say confidently that two players are going to be on this team of those nine and that would be Hunt actually probably three the 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 guys that were drafted this year so Hunt Jackson and Kinley right I think they're going to be on the roster somewhere um, I think Davis if he has a good year could potentially stay on the roster Karras only signed a two year deal so I just don't know what what's going to happen with that um, I don't. Calhoun, Calhoun and Isadora, those guys are just kind of throwing it there. Maybe Dieter develops, but I'd say 
I'd say three to four of these guys could be on the line for three years, which would be absolutely incredible. Or in Flowers, because he has again a three-year deal. So that would be a win. In three That'd years, be a huge actually, win. if in in five in three years, if we have all five returning offensive linemen like that, that is going to be absolutely incredible for this team. It won't matter what running backs behind that offensive line; they're going to be able to find a hole. That means Chris Greer's if 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 Chris Greer's getting a pay raise. If Kinley, real. Dieter, Jackson, Hunt, all those draft picks that he made in, in the last year or two. Uh, he's getting a pay raise if they're all still on the roster and hopefully starting. Uh, you know, they traded up for Kinley. So even though they, they sign Flowers to a deal and he's probably going to be the left guard for the next little while, they might start trying to throw Kinley over there in that right guard spot to try to beat out Jesse Davis or, or, or Michael Dieter um, because they traded up for him for a reason. They see something. And if Chris Gear gets a, a pay raise, make sure, you know, hook us up. Hmm. I don't want, like, I don't need money, just like, you know, some seats, maybe some tickets. Let, yeah, let, let me get let me get front row extra seats jersey. for one of these games, yeah. or an extra jersey. That's fine because we called it. Yeah. Oh, see, front row seats. You sort of preempted my wild card question of the day, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Let's talk. <laughs> let's talk Q and A. I actually, I'm super excited about this Q and A segment because the first question is, I, I looked at this this topic sheet like I don't know an hour ago, and I've been racking my brain about this first question and how I would answer it. Since we started this podcast, if you see me having my thinking face on a little bit or staring off into the distance, because I really don't know what I want to answer to this. I'm going to go last, uh, playing the Molly Karam role here, delegating who goes before me. So Chris Gaddis 10 asks the following. What would you prefer? Tua has a short but very successful couple of years in Miami, emphasis on couple of years, including two Super Bowl wins, or Tua has a long, successful career in Miami, but doesn't win a Super Bowl. PSA, I do not wish any harm to him. Purely hypothetical. I love this question. This is a really nuanced and complicated answer, especially for Dolphins fans. So I'll give the floor to you guys first. What do we think, guys? Option A or B here? I I wish with all my heart there was an option C. <laughs> right? <laughs> this is, of all of all the questions that have been asked of us, that is the hardest oh, yeah. um, to, to ultimately pick up an answer for because... So okay, so here I, I'm gonna flesh this out live. So we have been very irrelevant for a very long time. So as of right now, obviously I want a Super Bowl win, but I would also like to be relevant in the near future, like relevant in the playoff discussion. Have a quality team, make these runs, make these playoff pushes, where we at least have that tiny glimmer of hope. So maybe that means that I'm leaning towards the second one. But I, Super Bowls are also very nice. And, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna throw my own little curveball into this question. He, he, The question asks if Tua has a long, successful career in Miami but doesn't win a Super Bowl, what if Tua gets hurt and whoever the backup is leads us to a Super Bowl? And oh, the Nick Foles question. The Boom, there it is. B, B with an asterisk. That's I'm going to steamroll my brother here. I'm not going to let him go down. Oh, you're steamrolling. Okay. You know why? Because right, I've just come up with my answer, which is I'm going to go with option A. The reason why I'm going to go with option A is because Nick articulated this really well. We've been really irrelevant for a long time, and to win a couple of Super Bowls would be huge for not just the Dolphins, but for the city of Miami. Especially, you know, I talk a lot about basketball. Um, after LeBron James left the Heat, it's, it's sort of been, there's sort of this unspoken, depression is too strong a word, but this unspoken sadness in Miami for sports. And to see the Dolphins become relevant, especially because for a long time this really was a football town, that would be really exciting. But the reason I'm going with option A is because I am a firm believer 
not more than any other sport, football is about the way the team comes together and how the team plays. And if you have a team that is Super Bowl worthy with a quarterback twice, what that most likely means is the team constructed around that quarterback is built to win more than twice. And so the reason why I like the two wins right off the bat is because I don't think we're surmising he wins next year. We're saying maybe year two or three. So say years three and four, he wins two Super Bowls, and then he ends his career. What that implies is that the team is good enough to win Super Bowls, not without Tua per se, but with a serviceable quarterback. And so I like the idea of bringing some glory to Miami, of bringing two Super Bowl rings, and then having a team that's constructed to win more Super Bowls, or at the very least be competitive. It's unlikely that we see them totally fall off. I don't see a Rams level falling off, or what I truly anticipate will be a 49ers falling off next year. I don't anticipate that if you have a team that wins two Super Bowls, because of course those two aforementioned teams did not win one Super Bowl. So I like option A because it provides both short-term gains gains rather, and potentially long-term gains as well. Trevor, you compared yourself to Molly Karam, and then you you, you steamrolled me. I don't remember Molly Karam <laughs> ever steamrolling Max Kellerman or Stephen A. on first take. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. If you're going to make the comparison. But with that said, um, I, I, I loved your answer. And the reason is because it was practically, it was practically exactly what I was going to say. You and I are... That's, oh, why, that's why I steamrolled you because I knew you would get the there. Same, we're often on the same wavelength. And I'm just going to extrapolate a little bit more from what you took. If... We're reaching two Super Bowls and winning two Super Bowls. If the Dolphins win two Super Bowls, it probably means that they have found their head coach of the very long future, right? It probably means Brian Flores is the guy. And I'm I'm assuming from the question here that we don't, two years from now, fire Brian Flores and then someone else and and Tua wins Super Bowls with someone else. It's possible, but I'm going to take on my own sort of imagination here, assume that Brian Flores is the coach as well, winning those two Super Bowls. And that means... You found the coach you can win two Super Bowls with. You found the general manager who can draft the guys that you want to win two Super Bowls with. And so if two is here and he plays for, let's say, six, seven, eight years, wins two Super Bowls and says he's going to Andrew Luck and retire, and then you have Chris Greer as the general manager ready to find the next quarterback and he just built these two Super Bowl winning teams, you have Brian Flores as your Super Bowl winning head coach ready to coach the next quarterback, it would be super sad if you won two Super Bowls and two and then retired right after. Um, But it means you have very important cornerstone pieces at coach at general manager and elsewhere on the team like you said to win those two super bowls so i'm gonna i'm gonna lean uh a option a with the hope that that means we could still be very relevant in the distant future afterwards as well and this is the this is like the final caveat to that in my opinion you have teams like the steelers the seahawks who have won one super bowl in sort of recent memory Sort of. I mean, the Steelers won too, but that's a long time ago, that first one. Sort of recent memory, right? And they're still relevant year in and year out. So if the Dolphins win two, and then they don't win another one for 20 years, for 10 years after those first two, at least, every year, they're relevant. You know, we make fun a lot about the Dolphins not being mentioned on ESPN or being proverbially crapped on by all of the media out there because they haven't been relevant. And it's not without good reason. They haven't done anything. But if you win two Super Bowls, it doesn't matter if you don't win another one in 10 years. I mean, it's not ideal, certainly, but you're still in the conversation. And for a fan base that's been thirsty beyond belief, especially after a Marino era where no Super Bowls were won, 
that's a really exciting prospect. So I am salivating at this hypothetical. I love this question. I think that it's it's such a it's such a really exciting way to look at the Dolphins. I think I speak for all three of us when we can say that in our lifetimes we haven't seen a team that has this kind of hypothetical applied to it. As wonderful as Ryan Fitzmagic is, we were not talking about the potential of winning two Super Bowls. So I think that this is really cool, and I think it indicates as a fan base that we're really excited for what's to come, and that hasn't happened for a long time. So I love this question, and I so appreciate it. If nobody has anything else on that question, uh, I'm going to jump to... I I hate if I pronounce this wrong, so I'm sorry in advance, but Jamie uh, Pendergast, who asks, how long will it take for the O-line to gel? Once it does, I believe our future will be brighter. Guys, what do we think? How long is that going to take for us? How... How coincidental of a question perfect. that we got this week once we already broke down the offensive line. Like, that's that's perfect timing. Couldn't have been more perfect. Uh, so that's a really complicated question to end, but uh, to answer. Um, but I would say... I would say it's going to take a couple of weeks into the regular season. So I don't want to say put like a week four, week five, you're going to see prime time. I thought you were going to say a couple of years. Line, I was like, it, that sounds like a long time. No, 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 no. Yeah, 16 years. Um, no, I think I think two, three weeks of regular season football. Um, this By that point, this offensive line, assuming no injuries, assuming everyone – um, nobody does anything stupid, should be able to gel and put together what could be a, a quality product for the team. So two to three weeks-ish, and that's obviously dependent on a couple of things. So when when uh, when Jamie, assuming his first name is Jamie, asked this question on our Pick Up the Blitz Twitter, I I answered from our from our uh, our Pick Up the Blitz Twitter account, giving my personal answer. So I feel kind of locked into that. I'm going to stick with it at eight weeks and. I, I'd like that middle of the season as an answer for this team and not earlier, as you said, like two or three weeks, only because of the number of rookies we're expecting to contribute. If Austin Jackson is starting, if Robert Hunt is starting, um, then your two starting tackles are rookies. You have Ted Karras coming in, who the center is generally the leader on the offensive line. Ted Karras has never played in a Dolphins uniform before and certainly never with these guys. Eric Flowers is a free agent coming in, so the only returning guy, assuming with our starting five, um, is Jesse Davis. And so I think it might take a little longer for this offensive line to totally gel. I'm not sure exactly what we mean. You know, by the word gel, I'm going to say reach their peak form and be ready to roll with the rest of the season at that peak form. And so I'm going to say week eight. Um, so, for, so, for but that that changes the question for me because obviously, if I'm looking for peak form, I'm hoping it's week fourteen. Right, if for them to gel and play quality football, I don't, I don't, I don't see that taking a considerably long time, considering how the preseason goes and how the first couple of se- of weeks go in the regular yeah. season. But to, for them, I want peak form to be week sixteen, and then build on that and peak so form again even, to no, be week sixteen. So I don't 16. mean peak form like it peaks and goes down. I mean peak and then it can. I'm on. I'm making a, a hand motion on if you're watching on YouTube. Peak and then like but then stay it, but then at it's peak not level. a peak. But then it's not a peak, right? Then it's just a leveling Still, out of. Like, oh, the top. The high school teacher has turned it capacity into a math lesson. And stay at apparently, that point. I'm gonna I'm gonna assume my guess is week eight. So this is it's actually interesting because you guys extrapolated this question and took it in a different direction than I would have anticipated. I think Nick's answer is is correct in that it takes a few weeks for the team to gel. I don't know if they really peak until we have like a quarterback right. of the future in place fully, because if we think about it, at week sixteen or what week fourteen or whatever. They'll be better than they were at week three. But if you have a new guy under center that's been under center for three or four weeks, a guy that's much more mobile, a guy that is much younger, a guy that's throwing the ball differently, 
you're going to have very different peaks and valleys. And so when we're talking about gelling, I think Nick was right on. I think he talked two weeks, two, three, and four. They get their stuff together. And mind, mind you, this is with the proviso that the preseason is sort of still the way we Normal. expect and hope it's going to be exactly. Normal. Um, but I think that that's to answer this question because it gets a little bit more complicated as we go into the future. I think it takes a few weeks. I just want to also quickly point out there was another question uh, by the same listener. So thank you so much. We're going to actually hit that one next week just so we can share the love a little bit. Uh, Justin, so it looks wait, like even, wait, wait. even if you guys don't like the word peak, I just I, I, I want to answer Trevor's point there. And even if we're not using the word peak for an offensive line to gel and 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 be, you know, re- whatever word we want to use, be ready to to operate at their you know most efficient level for rookies. I think that takes longer than two or three weeks, especially when almost the entire offensive line has never played together before. And there are a lot of nuances and tendencies that they're not going to know about each other yet on game day that may take a little longer than two or three weeks, which is why I think it's more comfortable to say towards that middle of the season, um, even if we're not using the word peak. Though, you know, again, it, it totally depends. Justin on wasn't even the English the major the of the family, but he's parsing through the words here really, really nicely. <laughs> you guys parse through the word peak, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to adjust. You, you brought up Peak. It's all your fault. Nutsy. Right. Typical Nutsy. All right. Okay. We'll leave it at End that. Conversation. We're going we'll to jump to Finn Fanny, which I think is the best name that I've seen since we started this podcast. I love that Twitter handle. It's awesome. Finn Fanny asks, could the Dolphins already have their future receivers on the roster? Asterisk, if all goes well in training camp. Asterisk. This is also a great question. Um, I think that this is a... You can answer this question one of two ways. You can answer it very simply or with much more complexity, which I guess now that I say that out loud applies to pretty much every question. Um, In the short term, maybe. Maybe they have their future receivers on the roster. I really like who we have in our sort of starting projection. I think that it provides a lot of depth. I think they can also stretch the field with their speed. I liked who we took this year. I also like who we have just sort of staying on the roster. But it's really hard to know. I mean, when I look at our wide receiving core, unless I see somebody really shine, as Tua progresses in the next few years, I'm going to want to see a top-tier, top-10 talent come to Miami. And so when I talk about if they already have their future receivers, I think they have some. I think they have some of their more depth-related players. But when I talk about the real receiving talent, I don't think the answer is yes. Unless somebody really, really... Like, unless it's like a Juju Juju Smith-Schuster kind of, like, all of a sudden, this really young kid becomes a star right away. And even, you know... Juju Smith-Schuster, we can attribute a lot of his success, at least in the beginning, to having Antonio Brown opposite him because you take a lot of the attention off. So I think the answer is sort of, kind of, maybe. Um, and I know that's sort of a cop-out, and I apologize for that. But I, I would like to see one really marquee talent with some experience on the roster in the next few years. So I would say, to your point, Trevor, that that person already exists because like we talked about when we looked at the receiving core that we currently have, Devontae Parker was a top 10 receiver in the league last year. So I think one of the problems with this question, and it's not a problem, you know, Finn Fanny, thank you so much. It's not really a it problem. It doesn't say question. Devontae just, Parker on it. You forgot Devontae Parker. Yeah, exactly. Parker. Yeah, it, it, Parker's not on there. Exactly. Remember, he's 26 years old. Exactly. He's still got a lot of good football left in him, and especially if he can continue to grow like he did last year. So I, I, 
I don't think the answer is sort of. I think it is yes, because I think Preston Williams showed us a lot last year to um, solidify him as the number two on this roster. I am exceptionally excited for Malcolm Perry and what he could bring, although I do see him more as a uh, running back than I do necessarily a receiver. Kirk Merritt is a guy who is extremely exciting as well, like an undrafted rookie that everyone, especially Justin, has been exceptionally high on. Um, so I, I think the answer is yes. I think if, if you go out and if Williams, Merritt, and Parker end up being your three and they all develop and, and get better and better and better, I think that will be an outstanding receiving core for this team. So you've already got the top 10 guy. Now you got to find in the fill in the, the rest of those guys. And I think I think Perry and Merrick can do that for sure. And and filling Maybe. in, I think for me it's that wide receiver two spot that you really you really need to find someone at. And so right. I know on our on our fifty three man roster and depth chart projection we have Isaiah Ford as the sixth receiver with Kirk Merritt not quite making the roster potentially the practice squad. But if you have any of those guys emerge, so you're talking about Merritt, you're talking about um, Preston Williams, you're talking about Isaiah Ford. If any of those three this year can solidify themselves as a solid wide receiver two, then you do have a pretty good starting three. Now, the big caveat, of course, is is Albert Wilson's health. I mean, the guy, when he's been healthy, has been really exciting and maybe your starting slot receiver. But if he's not your slot receiver of the future, you also have a pretty big hole there. So in terms of... I don't see Wilson Wilson as being the the slot receiver. I agree. In which case, you don't have a slot receiver of the future and you're still missing a pretty big hole. I think, especially because he's in a contract year, so I'm not so sure he's going to be on this team for, for very much longer. If he, you know, has a very healthy season, um, then maybe, because when healthy, he's explosive. But I think Parker, again, the proviso is staying healthy. That's really the, the problem with all starting three guys. Preston Williams, Albert Wilson, and Devontae Parker have pretty decent injury history. So if they can stay healthy, then yes. But I, I'm, I'm leaning with what Trevor said here in that um, you need... You need a couple of extra guys here. I, I'm not. I'm not. I really liked what Devontae Parker did last year, but I need to see it at least a little bit more before I say he's definitely the number one of the future, um, at least with uh, staying healthy. And then beyond that, it looks like the team does sort of need a consistent wide receiver too, and a consistent slot receiver that can stay healthy. Um, you know, week in week out. Could you imagine if we had Wes Walker, and Devontae Parker, on the same team at the same time with like a two as a quarterback? That would have been really really fun to watch. I would have absolutely loved to see that. that okay, be- that looks to me like it's all the time we have for this Finns Fan for Friday, although I do have to do my wild card question of the day. And my first question was, it's kind of lame, admittedly. It was, Nick said first row seats, and my question coming into this was, what was your favorite, like, what would if you had to pick your season seats, like, where would they be on the field? But I, I don't like that. And I'm going to go in the spirit of my beverage of choice here. And what I'm going to ask is... Justin, keeping in mind that he only ever makes drinks for other people and never for himself. What is your favorite drink to make? And is that the same favorite drink that you have to order out? So do you think you make it better or differently or worse? And do you like to have something else when you're out? What do you like to make at home? What does your bartending skill allow in your own home? My bartending skill is... um as close to zero as you can get without it being zero because I can, I guess, pour things into glasses. Um, I, I very rarely have a mixed drink. Justin and I, I think we're talking about this before we actually started this. I very, very rarely have a mixed drink. And if it is a mixed drink, it's like a Jack and Coke kind of thing. So it's a very, it's not fancy, like, you know, 
with your vermouth and all that other stuff you got going on in, in your cup right now. So uh, for me, it's usually a whiskey on the rocks, some kind of whiskey on the rocks. Generally a rye. I'm, I'm a fan of rye. I like Redemption rye. It's a very good rye. Uh, Bullet is usually the go-to because it's most readily available. Um, so, you know, that my mixed drink would be – does ice count as a mixer? No. If it does, it does. Then that that's what I would do is is some whiskey on the rocks, so or a Jack that, and Coke. Like that's what I get. Given that I am just under twenty one, not not quite there yet. I only ever make drinks for for other people, um, and I have no favorite Good. drink at all. Um, given that I'm just under twenty one, but if I were to to potentially make a drink for in a purely for a hypothetical friend, situation. Right. If for, for if I'm going to make a drink for Trevor, for a friend, whatever, I'd say my favorite would be a Tom Collins, um, as I'm a fan of making drinks for other people with gin. Um, so Tom Collins being gin, lemon juice, sugar, um, and uh, generally sparkling water. Um, but if you want to go fancy, you could put in some sparkling wine in there just to just to spruce things up. So that that generally would be my favorite drink to make for other people at home when I'm out. Um, my favorite drink to order for other people is uh usually usually a beer of of some sort um you know fan of ordering pale ales for other people so that would be that would be the general you know out of the bar type thing. so somehow very well informed answer but much justin is a very he's very considerate very considerate I'm a very considerate order of yeah other very people very considerate exactly. i would have to say that good my it's exactly good for you my favorite is definitely a mojito but it's it's sort of a twist on the classic which is you obviously go with brown cane sugar uh, you go with your Miami Club or Bacardi White Rum. And then what I love to do is add a little bit of St. Germain elderflower liqueur. Justin actually had this, as his bartending acumen is so high, this recommendation. And it adds just a little bit, just it's just a tiny little half a teaspoon of a touch of sweetness in there that really opens up the drink. And I feel like it's really unique. A lot of people haven't had elderflower liqueur, and so it's very, very fun to sort of put it never, in something. I've never even heard of right? it. Right? And so that's but, the I thing. Mean, but everyone's but, had a mojito. But I'm also a terrible example because yeah, I just your... told you my mix of choice is ice. Ice, exactly. <laughs> but the truth Ask is, me. the truth yeah. is, most people have had a mojito, and most people haven't had that. And it just adds a little bit extra flavor Fair. that's really, really fun. And so I love that. Um, Ask me a little bit, just a li- in a couple months, and I'll be able to. All give of a sudden, you my you'll have all of this expanded knowledge. Exactly. Exactly. On October the eighth, you'll be ready to go. Um, we'll do, a, we'll do a definitive rink rankings for what <laughs> exactly. Justin, what Justin, exactly. Exactly. But on that note, guys, thank you so so much for spending just a little bit of your Friday with us. Just a quick reminder: our full Pick Up the Blitz fifty three men roster is going to be posted on our Twitter page at Pick Up the Blitz. So please be sure to check that out. We, as always, truly appreciate you spending just a little bit of your Friday with us. So thank you for that. And we look forward to starting the week with you next Monday morning. Thanks so much, guys. Talk soon. Cheers.